again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle. My co-host is Rachel Santizo. Our guest is Jacob Kennison. And did I say your name right? Yeah. Okay. We've never met before, so you, you just guess because you have it written down. Good job. Before we get to Jacob, I just got some really interesting news hmm. about how many people we have reached reached in January of, and you never know when people are watching the podcast, in January of 2023. Oh, how many? 105,000. Really? Yes. That is, uh, that is That's a, big a big number. number. That's so, fantastic. So if you're one of the 105,000 out there, we thank you very much. It's, Absolutely. Uh, and we'd ask you, if, you, if it's on iTunes, uh, like us and send us a review. Yes. And oh, and somebody, I, I facilitate a family support group mm-hmm. and we have some loyal viewers on YouTube. And uh, one of them is Rosalita. She she watches every single podcast we do. Okay. And she said, I watch it on YouTube. So how can I let you know that I like the podcast? Oh, okay. and, and Matt, our producer, says uh, somewhere on the screen, there's a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Just say you like it. But the really cool thing would be to hit subscribe. And then that lets YouTube knew, know that, Rosalita, you're a regular viewer. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Can you leave a comment on YouTube? I don't think so. Oh. Can, you, you can. You can? Matt's okay. shaking his head. Just yes. Okay. You, you can leave a comment. Yes. Thank you. So, Rosalita, <laughs> tell us you love us or you hate us. Whatever. It's true. It it's true. Matter. Please tell us how you really feel. <laughs> exactly. So, so our guest is Jacob. You lined him up. I did. And actually, Jacob has been a follower. And so when we asked for um, comments on the show, Jacob reached out to me on LinkedIn and gave us one. Oh. And so um, he had told us, he's the one that I told you about that said he thinks that it should be longer. Really? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, so I had, I know a couple of people that you guys interviewed and, and, they have so much more of their story. Right. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, and a half hour is pretty quick with three people. Well, part of our, part of our debate, when we, when we put together, we could, go, we could go an hour sure. or we could go 15 minutes sure. or we could do whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've just found, uh, just from doing some research and everything, that, there's a, that 30 minutes seems to be the length of time that people will stick around for mm-hmm. a podcast. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why we do it. You're right. I mean, every single person, I'm sure, including you, uh, could go on for a couple hours about your your story. Sure. And the whole point of our podcast is to uh, let people know a little more, if they don't already, about uh, addiction and recovery. Uh, and hopefully that will help continue to erase the stigma sure. of, yeah. of addiction. You know, so tell us your story. Well, and do it in, you got to do it in like 27 <laughs> minutes. minutes. Yeah. Uh, my, my story is, is I, it, you know, it's the same as everybody else's you guys hear. I feel, um, I feel like my addiction started super early, way before I ever drank and used. I had those addictive behaviors that, uh, got me in a lot of trouble before I ever drank and used. I, I went to prison at 18 before I had ever even tried alcohol or beer or smoked a cigarette or anything. Really? What did you go to prison um, for? I went to prison for a bunch of animal rights stuff. Really? So when I was asking you earlier about being on the news, I, I 
in when I was 15, we, we burned a leather store down and broke into a bunch of mink farms. I remember. Um, yeah. So I was the fall guy for all that. The one they, the only one they could get enough evidence to put in, in prison. And, and so they made an example. And so I went to prison when I was 18. Wow. I was the youngest person that was involved with it. But, um, you know, it's one of those in recovery, right? I understand I, I had a part in it and I'm okay with it. And honestly, it made me where I'm at today. And I couldn't see my life any other way. So, but, but going to prison at 18 was interesting because those are some pretty big years as far as development sure. and like friendships and, um, just, it just changed my world drastically. Right. And my, my selling in prison was a heroin addict. He was a lifetime heroin addict. He shot heroin every day in his cell. In uh, his cell? Oh, yeah. How in did front, he do that? Very creatively. <laughs> they, they, uh, so I went to federal prison in Phoenix, and they uh, I don't, they steal the needles from the, the med room or make them out of, like, there's some weird things that happen in prison. Um, the bottom of a milk, so the milk comes in big bags, right? They put it up in this dispenser and they cut off the end of it. And it's just a tube, but it's sealed at the end. So somehow they get that needle and melt the, the tube to the end of the needle, which then turns it into a suction, right? People, we find a way. And where do they get the hair away? Oh, that's the easy part. There's lots of ways that comes in. Guards? Guards. People smuggling yeah. in, wow. yeah. Okay, it was, so, a, it was an interesting world. <laughs> okay. it's so, a, that's a whole separate yeah. story. <laughs> so, so you go into be prison being a non-user at eighteen, yep. and and you're advocating animal rights. Yep. And and so, what did you learn in prison? Did, did you learn to use drugs? Or uh, I didn't learn to use drugs. I learned that drugs were not what I thought they were. They. I thought I, you know, I was raised in in Utah and in in the predominant religion. And in my mind, if you used heroin or meth, you were a madman running naked down the street with your hair on fire. Right. That was just my my thought of it. And I and I had a pretty big stance against it as well, like using. Uh, I didn't know why, but I watched him shoot heroin every day, and all he did was shoot heroin, either go work out or sit on his bed and read. And and I realized like. He's not a demon. He's not some crazy madman. He's just a dude reading on his bed, you know. And um, so I, I went through prison that whole time, and and I actually smoked weed for my first time in prison. And my celly gave it to me. He he had to smuggle in weed to sell heroin because <laughs> politics in prison says white people can't bring heroin in; they have to bring marijuana in. So he smuggled marijuana in to sell to support his heroin addiction so he gave me that so all i did was go to sleep i did not want to be awake for anything i slept as much as i could in prison so i got out and and my friend group at that time had started drinking which was a big change for me as well but i'd become desensitized to it so I started drinking and and i was off to the races pretty quick i found out a girl i was hanging out with was using meth I stole her bag. I ran into the bathroom and said, if you don't tell me how to do it, I'm going to find a way to do it. Mm. So she showed me how to do it. A determined person. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, pretty. my addiction just moved really fast. And from how 18, I was probably 20 at that point. Okay. Nine, yeah, probably 20. 
Um, so from 18 to 26, I spent in and out of prison. Just I spent six out of eight years in prison. On drug-related stuff? Yeah. Uh, after that, it was mostly either drug-related or behavior-related. Okay. I just didn't. I was a young knucklehead that didn't want to be on probation, <laughs> you know? So Now he's a grown-up knucklehead. That's right. That's right. Uh, so I, somehow I graduated off of probation and parole, strung out on heroin. Were you in Phoenix or were you here? I was here. Okay. So Utah doesn't have a federal prison, so they have to farm everybody out to other states. Um, and I also went to state prison in there as well, okay. but, um, that's kind of where my addiction really, really took off because I didn't have anybody looking over my shoulder. I had no reason to follow any guidelines or listen to anybody. I was free for the first time in a long time. And, um, I actually wasn't free, right? I was addicted to heroin. So mm -hmm. I, I did everything in up and down that you could think of to supply that habit Try and get sober every other week, you know, robbing, stealing, cheating, lying, the the typical addiction story, right? And in in that track, I had three three pretty pretty serious suicide attempts. Um, one I should never have walked again from. I was in a coma. I went off a three story building. I uh, was in a wheelchair for three weeks, and then got arrested. Went back to prison, and. Have you always struggled with mental health? I, I was diagnosed with depression pretty young. Okay. Yeah. I, I Knowing kind of what I know now about mental health, I'm pretty sure I, I had some pretty outrageous ones. Yeah, like I, I was pretty antisocial as a child and definitely exhibited that behavior. And I think had they done the testing, they would have seen that. Yeah, I think it's important to bring up the mental health. Sure. If it's situational or if it's if you're diagnosed with mental health as well. And if you have it now, yeah. you know, and yeah. how you deal with it. Jumping yeah. off a three story building is a pretty serious attempt at right. taking your Correct. life. Exactly. Yeah. So. yeah. And then, you know, one of the times I, I was in jail, I got in a fight. I was coming off of meth. And I stole this guy's food because I was starving. I felt like I was starving um, and got in a fight over it. And I beat him up and I got put in the hole and they put, in the, put me in the hole with all my stuff. And they're not supposed to do that. And I broke a razor apart mm -hmm. and I slipped my wrists. And long story, I ended up at the ER getting stitches. And, mm -hmm. and then another one was a purposeful overdose. I was trying to shoot a bunch of heroin and coke. Wouldn't work couldn't overdose on it, oh, couldn't get nice. enough in my system and uh, took four bottles of Tylenol PM. Ended up in somebody's garage rifling through their stuff. I don't remember it and then passed out in their front yard. Uh, ended up in the hospital again uh, in liver failure. So, like upfront and vulnerable about that. Yeah. Like, that takes yeah. a lot of courage to talk about that. Yeah. Those, are, those are big parts of my story. They, and how did you finally... Secret recovery. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's long run, right? Really so in that in that time, that whole time, I was I was never really happy as an addict or happy in general, right? I just mm -hmm. was trying to get sober. I would get two weeks or a month or six months, and I'd relapse and go back down the road. Um, and eventually, I moved to New York. Got sober enough to move to New York. Got strung out in New York. Uh, met what is now my wife uh, out there, and she got pregnant. So I really, really didn't want my son to be born when I was using. Like I, 
that was a big one for me. So, um, I was able to get sober. I was sober for his birth. I don't know that I was necessarily present. I was sober. I can, I can notch that one off, but I relapsed pretty quickly afterwards because I wasn't working a programmer had any like solid base. Um, so blew all of our money. We were about to be homeless in New Jersey at that time. And my wife reached out to a friend of ours and said, Hey, Jake really needs some help. And this guy was, he didn't really know me. It, I tell this story only because it really impacts and shows what, how much he was committed to recovery. I had dated his ex girlfriend, his wife. I had dated her for a long time. He had met me once. He said, okay, I'm going to put him on a flight. I'll pay for him to get into treatment. And he was going to fly me back that night. Right. He didn't know me from Adam. Wow. And, and uh, back here. Yeah. Back to Utah. And, and, people. and I told him, I'm an, I'm a manipulative addict. So I said, Hey, I can't go without my newborn and my soon to be wife, you know? And so he said, okay, they're on the same flight. Let's go. So he paid Jeez. for my entire family to come out. Um, as I came out, the, the facility he had looked at sold my bed or booked my bed, whatever happened. So I ended up going to Cirque Lodge. Um, not the facility I ever thought I would end up at. Right let alone ever be able to pay for it. Cause I didn't pay for it. Um, he, he paid for the first 30 days and CERT gave me a scholarship for the last 60. So I stayed for 90 days. Um, and for those of you who don't know, <laughs> if you go, to, if you just Google CERT Lodge, uh, you'll see what kind of facility it is. And it's to say it's nice. is an understatement. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it was, yeah, it was and everything you could you hope for to go to treatment. Yeah, that's right. but, and you had never seen it before, no. right? No, I mean, I'd heard about it. You know, I'd been in meetings and circles and seen Lindy, Lindsay Lohan coming from, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. you know, that's so yeah, it had an image and, and I didn't belong there as far as like financially, right? right? I was a different type of person than other people there. And they were actually concerned about it because of my history and, um, but I got there and I remember the guy that paid for me to go there. He said, I have three words, do your steps, follow the people that are winners and stay away from the people that are losers. Right. Like, and I mean, and that's kind of blunt, whatever, but, yeah, but good advice. It is. You and, know. and, and I got in there and I just went to work. Right. Cause I was really broken and I was really hungry and I really wanted to be sober. And, and I, I got sober and I, and I left and I, I, I relapsed actually when I left, um, I used one day and then got back on the horse and restarted my date and, and started working. Right. I went right back to it. I was not the epitome of a good sobriety uh, picture. When I left, I left treatment and went and worked at a nightclub in downtown. Um, cause that was my skill set, right? Good environment. Yeah. 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 yeah great environment. <laughs> I had a family to support. I had to make money and I didn't have any other way. So I did that and I started working at a gym and I started working um, at the at the time it was called NLR. And it's oh. what actually kind of bled into FTR. Yeah. So Interesting. that's how I kind of met that connection in the recovery world, which was really cool. Oh. Um, actually, kind of James that was there. Yeah. He asked me to come with him when he went there and I went to Cirque instead. So I kind of there was like a weird split point there. That is so cool. Yeah. Okay. So um yeah, so I went to Cirque a year later after I got sober. I, I started work. at Cirque. Yeah. And uh started at the bottom. 
was a frontline worker, just a tech and worked into their experiential apartment where I take uh, their lodge facility, which is kind of the really high price. They have two right. facilities. I take that facility out hiking and biking and snowshoeing and CrossFit nice. and you name it. We go try and do it. We go bowling. You know, we're in our giant ropes course that we have on site. And, um, and I got to see what it was like to be there for other people, right? Because that's sure. really what, sure. what sobriety taught me was that for me to stay sober, I have to be there for other people. Otherwise, it, I go down a dark path when I'm not, right? Service is what really meant happiness for me. I agree. So, yeah, yeah. on that track, I, I started my college career. I'd never done anything. I, I started at UVU, and I've been going for the last six years now, straight working. And so this next semester, I graduate with my MSW. Congratulations. I got to ask you about this guy who virtually saved your life yeah. and yeah. and shelled out a lot of money. Yeah. You know, what uh, do you did you ever correspond with him? Of course. Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I still talk to him a lot actually. He's involved in in the recovery industry. Kind of he's a he's an interventionist now and doing his own, he has his own little separate company that has sober companions and stuff. And and I'm, I can't well I've never offered to pay back, but I don't think he expects me to pay back. I think yeah. what he's hoping is that I can stay sober and share the message because that's really all he wanted. I mean, I, I, it's amazing that some, even though you had, you said you met him once yeah. and you dated his wife before she yeah. became his wife, I presume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, and for him to just offer something like that, I... Yeah. Is that pay it forward? It's a lot. It's, it's, a, it's huge. It's almost like a miracle in I your agree. life. I agree. It was. And and that I, I always feel bad like telling that story, like, yeah, I dated his ex, blah, blah. <laughs> but it, it shows how willing he was to help another person. And I think that that's huge. I think it's the power of community too, though. Exactly. And the power of recovery, like mm-hmm. forgiveness, resentments, like all the things. Like once you just let your guard down and become human and yep. vulnerable. That's what this is all about. That's why all three of us are even sitting here in, in the first place yep. is because of that, because we all have a past. We all have exes or we all have pain or we all have love right. to end service and all the different things. And so that's really what it represents. So I think saying that is the power of the story. Absolutely. Really. So, yeah, that's, a, like that's a great I mean, it's an amazing story. That's one of the best yeah. I've, I've heard. I mean, without him, where would you be? Right. It's a good question. What do you think? Scary. I have no idea. I don't. I, w- I don't think I'd be in Utah because I definitely didn't have money to get from New York or the East Coast here. Uh, maybe I made would have made my way back here. I definitely wouldn't be married and have a nine-year-old son in my life and be working in a treatment center, about to become a therapist. Like that. That story would be very different, right? Right. Now. Whether it would still be on the track or not, it would be different. He saved uh, my life. <clears throat> What do you uh, what do you communicate to your son about what you've been through? Everything. He, he knows, knows. He knows everything. He knows everything. We. I don't hide anything from him. I thought that he. It wasn't going to do him any justice. The life I live is very open, and you know, I. He's been. He's went to meetings when he was nine months old, and he's been <laughs> going to meetings since then. So, you know, he's he's one of those. What's his name? Dillinger. Hi, I'm oh, Dillinger, cute. and I'm the son of an addict. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, it's your Alvin on meeting waiting to happen. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, he knows all about mental health. He he hears about suicide. We talk to him about that. Uh, I'm a pretty good ag- advocate as far as like the more he knows, the more likely he is to react properly in a situation sure, where it comes up. Sure. You know, I and I don't think it would do him any good to know that if he heard something down the line that dad had done in the past or about all this life I had lived before he was born, if he didn't know about it before he heard it, it could really hurt him, you know, so. What uh, a lot of the people watching or listening to this podcast are in recovery or thinking about recovery. What message would you give to people who are just curious about addiction and recovery? Uh, Ask questions. I mean, people think that at least not, I, well, I mean, for a long time, addiction was something you kept behind the sheet, right? Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. not something yeah. that was talked about at the dinner table. It was Aunt June has a drinking problem. <laughs> That's just Aunt June, right? <laughs> it's not, man, Aunt June really needs some help. How can we help her? What are our resources? How, who do we reach out to? How do we get, you know, find information? And when those family units come together is, is when things happen, ask questions. You know, I've been through a lot in, I've been through more in sobriety, I feel like, than I was, have been through in my youth. Um, You know, we had to put my father in a home for early onset dementia. My sister passed away from her addiction during that. So going from the person that always needed help to the person that can now give, be of support and give help is, is huge in my world. Like that, it means everything. So being able to just put that message out there for people to grab, I think, you just have to talk about things. You know, mental health and addiction are not going to go away, and they're getting worse. The stats show it. Everything yeah. is out there. It's just breeding and breeding and breeding and breeding. So, what would you say for the incarcerated, for individuals that just keep having that cycle of prison and having those barriers? You know, the backgrounds. Like, what would you say to them? How to break those barriers for employment, for housing? You know, it's funny. I I never had a problem with employment. Not once did I ever get turned away from a job because of my my past. Really? Not once. At least that I ever knew of. I, I'm sure I didn't get called back. Maybe, yeah. but I never went in for an interview and had some. I never. I never would mark yes where you have to mark yes or no to your conviction. Okay. I'd always leave it blank and would put will explain. So um, I would wow. either go okay. into my interview and explain it if they asked, or they would just not call me because I left it open. So I don't know if I missed opportunities. Maybe that's but it. I would say just you just have to fight, and it's all about presentation, right? If you go in like a thug with, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've been up all night partying and you smell like cigarettes and you know whatever, and you 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 can at least like dress somewhat in a, a manner that shows that you care about yourself. Yeah. people are going to expect that from you. you yeah. know? And it's sad, but that's kind of the way the world works. And you just have, I, what I would say to those people is reach out, right? Like find somebody, there's so many resources out there now. FTR is great for that because it's yeah. involved with the young people and, you know, USARA and all those places. Like there's so much information and support if you want it, but you have to be willing to break that tie, right? You have to be able to walk away from, the abusive relationship or the gang that you're a part of or what, mm-hmm. you know, whatever else is keeping you in that addictive or sick cycle. Yeah. And, and until you start actually being proactive for yourself, it's not going to come. Yeah. The, yeah. The it's bottom simple. line, and I've, I've said this so many times and I think I'm right after watching clients <laughs> coming in and going, 
uh, at Odyssey. It, it doesn't matter whether it's Odyssey or First Step or Cirque or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you don't want it, the yeah. program's not going to work. Right. If you right. do want it, the program's going to work. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 It's true. I mean, and it's that old saying like, "Let us love you until you can love yourself." Mm-hmm. Right. Like, <laughs> just stay there. Let the magic work. Even if you don't believe in it, don't fight against it. Just enough to just like hear the message, right? But um, what's your favorite thing about working at Cirque? Because you went into Cirque, you're like, I don't even know what to do with my hands, right? Like it was yeah. some type of different world for you. Yeah. What is your favorite thing about working there now? Because I don't know Cirque, I, so it'd be the same thing for me. So I'm curious. I think it would be the same. You can replace Cirque with treatment center. Like yeah. it really doesn't matter. And I think it would be the same. It's that light bulb comes on where you see somebody actually start like either getting it or caring about themselves or like that little glimmer of like hope is so cool to watch. Like watching people come in emaciated and like zero skin color and yeah, like hairs great. falling out because they haven't had minerals and vitamins for so long. So like 30 days later or 60 or 90 days later and like their hair is cut. They're like standing up tall, they're smiling, they're laughing, they have color and like yeah. they, they talk about what they're going to do. Like it's so cool to watch. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, anywhere in the industry, I think you would see that, whether it's FPR or even just in, you know, marketing or whatever. Like you see those changes happen if you're around people long enough to see them from the beginning to the middle to like the next stage, the next, you know. Yeah. So. And, and there's a lot of burnout though, yeah. uh, in working uh, with with addiction, uh, because there's a lot of people who the light doesn't come on in their eyes, sure. and and they go back out to whatever their life is. And and it, how do you deal with that? I mean, because nobody's a hundred percent successful, right? Right. So so somebody that you cared about in the program that you worked hard with. And then you see the light go out in their eyes yeah. and they take off. How do you yeah. deal with that? I think that for me, I just know that they didn't, they meant everything they said when they were in treatment. They mm-hmm. thought they were going to stay sober, right? They, they meant it like when they said, I am, I am done. I'm on this path, right? Whether they fought it the whole time or they were at the 90 day mark and they left and had all this stuff lined up yet they went out and overdosed and died right those are really hard because i was that guy at one point right and i know i was telling people the truth i am not using again i am done i'm going to get a yeah. job i'm going to get a family like i'm going to do all these things so i just have to remember that they're just they're just sick right we're all sick the biggest thing for me is like detachment from that like work is work my recovery is my recovery and my time, my free time is my free time. Like I have to have some things for me. Like I, uh, the whole, I started doing, went back to doing jujitsu when I went back to school. And so for me, getting my black belt in jujitsu is like a journey separate from all of that. That is my self-care. Like when I need to go check out, when I need to like, I've had a hard day at work or some, you know, antisocial kid is like testing me at work. I say, okay, I'm gonna, I have to go, you know, and my wife knows, like, you can see it. She can see it. She knows, like, when, when I miss the gym, she'll say, when was the last time you went to jujitsu? Like, she'll know, you know, like, honey, it's time for jujitsu. Yeah. And so, you know, it, burnout is there, but I think it's, it's par for the course. And I think that that's why so many addicts and people with mental health issues get into the field is because we've already lived it. 
I've been living this for, you know, 30 years now. It didn't change it. I'm just on the other side of it and actually maybe helping people instead of definitely hurting people. For me, at least. What do you do for your recovery besides jujitsu? I can never say it right. Are you a black belt now? You said no. you're working towards it. No, but you're... purple belt. So what's like next? Is the it step good? brown, black. Uh, jujitsu takes way longer than getting your college degree, which is the unfortunate. <laughs> part. I didn't know. So that. yeah, it takes on average like ten years to get your black belt in jujitsu. So cool. Yeah. And Did your son go with you? No, he hates it. Oh, he does. He That's won't. okay. Then. Okay. <laughs> He's not that kid. Okay. He, and it's okay. I tried really hard, but leaving leaving with him in tears was not worth it. So, okay, that makes sense. Okay. Um, Our 30 minutes are up, believe okay. it or not. Oh. So uh, you're right. You could go on forever <laughs> sure, and ever. But, you know, I personally want to thank you for all the good yeah. you're doing now uh, and for sharing your story with us. Yeah. Good Good job inviting. I know. Inviting. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Thank you for coming. I wish, it's my pleasure. I wish there were more people like the man you met who helped you out. Yeah. No. You know? Yeah. So if you're out there and you have some money and you exactly. know somebody dealing with addiction, this is a good story. Yeah. 100%. Right. Good luck yeah. in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. being here. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks. See you next week. Yes, you will. Okay. <laughs> On time? On time. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's a, a. I was really late story. today. Yeah, and it was horrible. We hope to see you next week or, or have you listen to us again. So thank you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals. Yeah.